Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Well, tonight we're going to venture back into the book of Revelation and uh, we'll have an opportunity to look at that at this tonight. Uh, we looked at the beginning of chapter 11 in the book of Revelation and we saw the two witnesses. And tonight we look at the rest of chapter 11. in the book of Revelation. And, and I, I, I know it's taken us a little while to get through the book of Revelation, but it's a little detailed. And I hope that you will uh, pardon our taking so long. And I've looked at how some other folks uh, go through the book of Revelation. And for some, they just skip a whole section of, of Scripture and move from like chapter uh, 7 to chapter 14. And to me, there's too much that goes on within these chapters to just skip them. Even if we just do a cursory uh, uh, review of what's going on in these, uh, it there's so much more to be seen here other than just simply uh, the fact that the different trumpet... Uh, 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 the different trumpet uh, 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 the different trumpets are being uh, proclaimed and and the trumpet uh, 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 I'm drawing a blank excuse me <laughs> having a senior moment uh, you know the uh, anyway it, it's it's the trumpet judgments that that are going on here and anyway uh we we see that these things are happening and and you can clearly see what happens in these judgments but what is meant by them what god is conveying in these uh judgments and what god is doing in the midst of them is very significant for us and i believe it's an important thing for us to to take a moment and look at what God is doing in this. And so we see in verse 15, if you want to look in your Bibles at chapter 11, verse 15 of the book of Revelation, it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, uh, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and the twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee... Turn the page. We give thee thanks, O Lord uh, God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and the wrath is uh, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that thou shouldst give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, 
shall uh, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in this his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. What I need to remind you is that uh, and it happens several times throughout scripture and it and uh, it is worth noting that the chapter separations and the verse separations to the scripture is something that was added much later that when John wrote this, he didn't put in chapter 11 and then start writing. Uh, these chapter breaks were put in much later after the Scripture was written, and it, it's basically so that we could do what we're doing tonight, and that is for me to say, go to chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 15 and start reading. We'd never be able to find together where we were talking about looking if we didn't have these chapter breaks and verses within the chapters uh, it'd be uh, next to impossible for us to be able to all find the same location. or It could be done, but probably would take some time, and there'd still be some people that would still be lost and not know where you're talking about uh, being. And, and it, it, this just helps all of us to study the Scripture at the same time. And sometimes it, it seems as though the Scripture is broken up in... in odd ways and and sometimes uh, it's simply because they don't know what to do with one verse that might seem a little out of place and verse 19 kind of it seems like one of those we're going to look at verses 15 through 18 though and the scene is is that of the final judgment in which both the wicked and the righteous will be judged and uh, this is something that I need to kind of also remind you of and that is is that the people of God the uh, the children of Israel they have been waiting for this moment forever they have been waiting for uh, this time of judgment and they have been looking forward to and they have been projecting towards this uh, since they became slaves in Egypt and they have desired that the the people that uh, oppressed them throughout history be judged by God. And it, the mantle of this desire for God's judgment to fall upon the wicked has kind of been taken up by Christians, uh, especially Christians during time of persecution. And it's only natural for us to, to long for the day in which we are no longer persecuted, the longing for the day in which God will reign, longing for the day in which uh, the right and the righteous will be rewarded for their desire to live for God. And those who are wicked and those who are oppressing the the righteous would be not necessarily judged, but would be at least suppressed, at least be prevented from harming those who are righteous, harming those who worship God, harming those who seek to uh, to worship God. But it, it seems as though even today we have a desire for the righteous to be blessed of God and the wicked to be judged. We don't come out and talk about it openly, but it's something that we all desire. 
I mean, you go down the street and uh, someone cuts you off or... Uh, I know when I went to get Christina the last time from uh, college uh, for her semester break, I, I tend to be someone who, who follows the, the uh, speed limit and driving rules meticulously. And I've gotten one ticket in my life, and it was back when I was uh, a young person, uh, and I think part of the reason why I got it was because I was 16 not because I was doing anything any particularly wrong uh, um, but uh, I wasn't one of those kids that uh, drove up and down the road uh, speeding at a young age uh, I felt it was a travesty when I went when I was a young person my daddy didn't want me on his insurance so my daddy said got a job you're gonna get your own insurance and we're gonna make sure that you uh, get a good rate because you're gonna start out young and build up a base of good driving with the insurance company and you'll be able to uh, to afford it better and when we went uh, I remember sitting there and the guy said well I'm sorry but your interest rate is going to be and he gave me an amount and it was like twice what it should have been. And I said, why in the world is, is my insurance going to be so much? And he says, well, you're a young man and you're under the age of uh, 18 or you're under the age of 25. He says, you're, you're going to be paying through the nose because simply because you're a young man and uh, young men tend to drive recklessly and young men tend to drive over the speed limit and young men tend to get tickets. Well, one day I was going to church and we were going on a whitewater rafting trip and we, le we were leaving at like 5 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> so we had to be at the church at 5 o'clock in the morning. And you know how in, early in the morning uh, during the summertime you might drive uh, somewhere for something and there's a light mist that's fallen. It's not really rain. It's not really bad conditions and I was going uh, about the speed limit and a cop pulled me over and gave me a ticket because he said I should have been going slower slower than the speed limit because of the weather conditions. And, I, and this is a four-lane road in Charlotte and I said, who's the last guy that you found that was going below the speed limit on the street to begin with, let alone, let alone the speed limit? I felt like saying it. I said, I, what I really said was, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, and that's it. But, but I wanted to say, who in their right mind even drives the speed limit even in good conditions because most everybody drove over the speed limit and you had to drive a little faster than the speed limit just to keep from getting run over. But uh, it was 5 o'clock in the morning and it was mist and rain and he could le legitimately give me a ticket uh, in spite of the fact that I wasn't really breaking any laws. I think he wanted to meet his quota. But anyway, um, I was an easy mark because I was a young person and I didn't fight it. I just went and paid the ticket and got it over with. That's the only ticket I've gotten in my life. And I, I swore up and down I would never drive recklessly to keep from getting pulled over or getting a ticket. And so when I'm driving down the road on I-75, it, it 
gets infuriating when I'm obeying the speed limit laws and it's like I'm sitting still with people and I, even though I'm going 70 miles an hour the speed limit and somebody passes by me like I'm going uh, backwards or there or I'm sitting still I mean they go and and uh, so or you get cut off when they do that to you you want to sit there and say oh, I hope you get a ticket well that's a yearning for righteousness to uh, to win out and the wicked to be judged you're wanting uh, that person that did that to you to receive the judgment that they should receive. Uh, another reason why I don't speed and why I don't drive recklessly when possible, I mean, there was the one time or maybe twice when Robin was pregnant that I went over the speed limit a bit. But uh, uh, I tend not to do that because I, I said if anybody is going to ticket, there could be. 50 cars. I could be one of 50 cars all going over the speed limit if I were to speed. I would be the one to get the ticket, not anybody else. And so I always make sure that I uh, obey the driving laws as best I could. But but we all have that yearning for the person that cuts us off or the person that's rude to us or the person that... Uh, People in secular, the secular world say, you know, it'd be great for instant karma. And what they mean is, is they want, what instant karma means is we want you to be judged and we want you to be judged now. And those who tend to try and do the right thing, when someone does something bad to us, we want God's judgment to fall immediately. And just think about the people that, that, uh, John is writing to in the time that he's receiving this revelation. There are Christians throughout the Roman world that are being persecuted. They're being uh, dispersed all over the world uh, because they're running from persecution. Uh, the disciples, are one by one, are being methodically uh, executed for their faith. Uh, for some time right after the church began, in the Roman world, there was a phenomenon, and that was is that Christians were still lumped in with the Israelites. And the Israelites were given a lot of leeway uh, because of the fact that their religion was so old that Rome uh, and the Roman uh, leaders said, well, we're going to allow them, even though they had the cult, uh, following of uh, worshiping Caesar as God, they allowed the Israelites to worship God uh, because they had been a faith for so long. They had followed Yahweh, the one true and only God, for so long. They said, well, we don't want to upend the, the apple cart and cause them to all to revolt, so we'll just let them get by with it. Well, Christians were seen as a splinter group of the Israelites, and so they were the Christians were allowed to worship Jesus Christ as as the Messiah and uh, the Savior because of that association with Judaism. So, uh, but uh, a few more years down the road, about the time that John is is 
receiving this persecution, it's because of the fact that they were saying uh, the Jew, the the Jewish people were beginning to say, "Well, no, the, these Christians, they're upstarts. They're trying to take over things, and they're trying to. They're not one of us." And so, or especially with those who were saying that they, you didn't have to become Jewish in order to accept Jesus Christ. They were, they were saying, "Well, they were." throwing the Christians under the bus, put it in, in uh, uh, modern vernacular. They were doing everything they could to, to quell the, the Christian faith. And so uh, they, were, they had convinced Rome that, uh, that the Christians were not part of the Jewish tradition any longer. And so therefore, uh, the Christians were, were beginning to receive persecution, especially with the fact that many of the Christians would not profess. Uh, well, if a Roman soldier came up to you and say, would say, Who's Lord, who is Lord? You were to profess that Caesar was Lord. And no other name was allowed to be professed as Lord. You had to say, Caesar is Lord. And... Christians were saying, when Roman soldiers were coming up and saying, who is Lord? They would say, well, Jesus is Lord. I mean, it's, it's so common for us to say Jesus is Lord because of, of centuries of Christians professing that Jesus Christ was the, is the Lord of their life. But you could receive an instant death sentence if you said any, anyone other than Caesar was Lord because you were seen as a traitor and as an uh, insurrectionist. And so therefore, the Roman soldier was, uh, as long as you were not a Roman citizen, you were allowed to instantly uh, 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 kill the individual that did not, uh, professed that Caesar was Lord. And so uh, Christians were receiving all this persecution. And so therefore, uh, they were ready for uh, the end days. They were ready for, Je- uh, for Jesus to return and bring judgment. They really saw... And again, you have to also remember they were looking for the Messiah to come and to be the white, uh, the the king riding on the white horse, the one who would come in and uh, over overtake every every uh, nation and every army that was opposing Israel. They were looking for the Messiah to come, and that was a Jewish thing. Uh, uh, so they were waiting for the Messiah to come and be. Uh, reincarnation quote unquote a a reinvigoration of uh, the the divinic line of the king they wanted uh, a king once again who would come and and take them into that golden age in which king david was king enlarging the kingdom and solomon uh, bringing about the great uh prosperity of that kingdom and so they were looking for the Messiah to do that because all the prophecies said that the Messiah would be the one who had uh, was a the root of of uh, King David and and the the prophecy said that that God would raise up the uh, the descendant of King David once again to be that Messiah. So we have John here professing that the uh, that God is bringing about with the trump, uh, the trumpet blasting that God's judgment is coming. 
Let me walk with you through this passage of Scripture because at first it looks like it's a relatively short passage of Scripture. There's only a few verses here and it seems like there's not a whole lot that's happening here. But I want to go over it with you and let you see all the different things that are happening. So it begins in verse 15 with the sounding of the trumpet which... Every time that this has happened, we see the angel that that is uh, professing the judgment of God with the blast of the trumpet. But something different happens at this time. Instead of instantly a judgment coming upon the earth, you, we hear voices that... Uh, ring out from heaven. Uh, This hymnotic response from heaven that we see in verse 15, it says, And there were great voices in heaven, and there had not been a response to the the trumpet uh, sounding in any of the other trumpet uh, blasts that happened. Usually something like a, a star falling from heaven or fire falling from heaven or... Uh, a great uh, uh, judgment of, of turmoil happening to the earth. And now you have singers singing. These singers, uh, these loud voices are coming from heaven and it's a great song that's being uh, offered up. It says that uh, they are saying in heaven, the kingdom of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And so the song that the singers are singing is that the transfer of the kingdom of of the earth, the kingdom of the world, is happening. That And this is something hard for us to, to really remember throughout our study of Scripture is, is that, and we see it at particularly at the temptation of Jesus at the beginning of His earthly ministry. And that is is that with sin, uh, though God is over all things and God rules over all things, the kingdoms of this world, for the most part, have been the domain of Satan. And at this point in time, at this particular passage of Scripture, uh, with the, the trumpet being sound, it is a moment of great celebration. These voices are singing out to God uh, praises because of the fact that the kingdom of this world is no longer the the possession of Satan, but it is uh, being transferred back to God. Why? Because God has finally said, enough is enough. No longer is uh, sin going to rule in this world. No longer is my judgment not going to be upon the wicked. This world is being transferred to the possession of God. And it says also that God gives the possession of the the kingdoms of the world to His Messiah. And so uh, we see in very clear terms that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God, reclaims the kingdom of this world 
with this judgment, this final judgment. This is the the end of the reign of Satan in this world and God takes possession of the kingdoms of this world and He gives this possession of the king to His heir, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is very symbolic. And the symbolism here is uh, that you cannot give something that does not belong to you. If you ever been to New York, you might have somebody come up and try and sell you the Empire State Building or try and sell you out in San Francisco the Golden Gate Bridge. But they can't sell it if they don't own it, right? You can pay them a lot of money, but in the end, you're just out a lot of money. You don't own the Empire State Building and you don't own the Golden, uh, Golden Gate Bridge. But when you are able to give something to someone else, like this Christmas, when you give a present to your children or to your, uh, your spouse or to your parents, that gift means that I own it and now I pass that possession to you. Now you own it. Why? Because it's in my possession and now I transfer that possession to you. God giving the, possess, uh, the kingdoms of this world to Jesus Christ demonstrates His ownership in that he, it's undisputed. He, there is no one else who can lay claim to the ownership of the kingdoms of this world because it's rightly been transferred back to God. Secondly, it, it is symbolic of the fact that uh, anytime a king uh, takes possession of a kingdom as a result of, of the end of a war, many times the king would give his champion, the one who went out, uh, the general that would go out and win the war for him, he would give a great, uh, bestow a great honor uh, upon that champion. Here, uh, God is transferring the possession of the kingdoms of this world to Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's the Messiah. He's the one who, who uh, defeated Satan through His death on the cross. And so it is uh, symbolic of the fact that, that God truly has possession of the kingdoms of this world and that He is able to transfer possession to someone else and that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who uh, is the responsible party for bringing about this ultimate uh, victory. It's a, it is a victory because Jesus Christ has overcome uh, Satan on the cross of Calvary. God will reign forever, it says in verse 15. The king, uh, he says, There's, uh, the great voices are saying the kingdom of this world have come uh, become the kingdoms of the Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. This transfer of the kingdom of the world from God to Jesus Christ also demonstrates that His kingdom will, shall reign forever and ever in that it shows a, a lineage of uh, that kingdom uh, having possession of the kingdom of this world. And let's look at... at uh, what happens next. Not only is there singing and there is a rejoicing, it is uh, the four and the twenty elders. Now these, remember, are the twenty-four elders that are sitting on thrones around the great white throne in uh, 
uh, the great throne in heaven. And this is a glimpse into heaven where uh, God reigns forever and ever. And we see in heaven the 24 elders that have been worship, doing nothing but worship. Remember, around the throne in heaven where God uh, is sitting, we have the 24 elders and we have the angels. The 24 elders are, are uh, prostrate before God and worshiping Him, and the angels are professing holy, holy, holy uh, around the throne of God. And the the 24 elders, we see... They are uh, singing a song of thanksgiving and they are worshiping uh, God. They're in heaven, as I said, uh, in the, uh, the presence of God. They're before Him and they are seated on their thrones. And what are they doing? The 24 elders which are before God, uh, they're on their thrones. They fall upon their faces and, and they worship God. So they uh, fall from their uh, the action that they exhibit is that they, as they have been worshiping God and on their uh, seats of authority because of of their devotion to God, uh, they fall to their faces and they begin to worship God. This is demonstrative of the fact that uh, that God is victorious. And look at verse seventeen. Here's what they are saying as they worship. We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and which wast and which art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And so we see that they are, as they're worshiping, they're giving, they're expressing a song of thanksgiving. They're uh, expressing to God a, uh, a thanksgiving that is d- demonstrative of all the the prayers and all the the voices of those who follow after God. Uh, they are demonstrating uh, the the feeling amongst all those who follow after God. They are singing to God. We give thanks. They're saying it to God and they're saying to you, O Lord, uh, God Almighty, who is and who was and who is forevermore. They, uh, that's got to be a thrilling thing to be in the presence of God Almighty and to be able to worship Him and to exalt Him and to then finally be in His presence as He comes to victory over Satan death and the grave and everything else uh, that that God has been. This has been a long time coming for us as humanity, but this has been the goal of God since the garden. Ever since sin entered into the world, God has been striving for this moment for all of history for mankind. And that is, is that uh, sin would be defeated, that uh, death and the circumstances of sin would be overcome, that the righteous would once again be brought to God and to be in a right relationship with God, and that those who are wicked and those who are evil, those who are not followers of God, would be uh, would come into. Uh, judgment and so and that's what's happening at this moment 
They're giving thanks to God because He is who He is. And the reason for that thanksgiving is, is that they, uh, the great authority that God is exhibiting because He has begin, He's begun His reign. And what is the crux of what it means to reign? If you're a king, the whole crux of being uh, of your reign, your authority as king, is that you would have the authority to rule. And this is what uh, it means for God to reign in victory on the throne is, is that He would be able to put right everything that's wrong, that He would be able to, uh, to bring judgment and justice to those who are uh, doing wicked uh, and doing uh, the wrong things, and uh, that those who are doing the things that that God desires would be recognized. And so uh, we see here that uh, that God who is eternal, eternally uh, in the past, eternally present, eternally the future, that He is reigning. And it says in verse 18, And the nations were angry, and the wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that they should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them which destroy the earth. And so... Uh, God has begun His reign, and the the uh, end times perspective is that the nations are enraged because they're no longer able to. I mean, they're able to. Uh, the nations have up until this time, and including at this time, they are rejecting God's authority. They're rejecting. I mean, right before this. Uh, and the judgments that fell upon the earth, uh, in spite of all the things uh, that the witnesses professed, and in spite of the, uh, the judgment that God was bringing about because of that, uh, in spite of all of that, uh, mankind has been rejecting God, rejecting, rejecting, and God is pleading. God, it's it's as if God is pulling and saying, "Please come to me, please repent, please come back to me," and. Throughout this time, they're saying, no, 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 we don't want this. And so uh, the narrative is, is that the nations are enraged because uh, God is bringing about His will. God is reigning. Wrath has come. God's judgment is coming upon them. The, judge, the judgment is coming not just on those who are living, but those who have lived and are dead. And the reward, God is rewarding those who have lived uh, throughout time. Uh, the people of God are being rewarded, the servants of God, uh, the prophets, God's people, those who revere the name of God. Uh, and it says <clears throat> that God's judgment is coming not just upon those who are the worst of the worst. And we would think, okay, well, okay, uh, you know, you witness to people a lot, of, and you talk about God's judgment, and you talk about hell and all of that. And they'll say, okay, I, I can understand Hitler being put in, in hell. I can understand maybe Mussolini. Uh, uh, um, Mao and and all the people that uh, that are are really bad 
all those people yeah i can understand health for those people but i'm just an average joe i I go and i work and yeah i might cheat on my taxes every once in a while just a little bit it's not like i'm getting uh, millions of dollars Uh, it's not like I, i go out and rob a bank it's not like i go out and murder somebody it's not like i go out and do all those really bad things i might i might every once in a while uh go and do something uh, a little bit it's just a little bit wrong I, I might receive too much money back at the bank and not say anything to anybody or i might uh, go to the grocery store and and find a uh, an item that's been mislabeled and so i get uh, something that's worth a lot of money for a, lo- a lot less and i not say anything even though i know it's wrong or i might find something uh, a wallet or or a purse out in the parking lot and I, I just keep it for myself instead of going and trying to find the person that owns it. Um, I might speed in the car, uh, break the speed limit every once in a while, only when I'm in a real big hurry or it's an emergency. Not Nothing really, uh, really bad. Uh, but yet God is saying, no, I bring judgment on all those who are wicked, both the, the big and the small, uh, the unimportant and the important. And uh, more than more than uh, anything else, this judgment is coming upon those who are in verse 18. It says, "Those who are destroyers of this earth, destroyers of this earth, basically anybody that sins, because what what's destroying the earth? Sin." The garden was perfect. God created all that is creation. And at every moment that He saw His creation, the sun, moon, and stars, it's perfect. It's good. God saw the earth, His creation. It's good. He saw all the creatures inhabiting the earth. It's good. All the creatures in the ocean. It's good. All the creatures in the air. It's good. All these things are good. And he says at the end, go forth and be fruitful and multiply. All of God's creation is good. The garden, everything is good until Adam and Eve sin, until sin enters into the world. And death really does come. Throughout all of history, death creeps into God's creation and it is destroying the earth. Verse 18 says that God's victory, God's judgment comes on all those, both small and great, those who are destroying the earth. God's judgment upon the sin of the world exists at this moment and God is, is, is bringing about His victory. And as we move on to the next sections of of Scripture, we'll begin to see uh, the implications of God's victory and all that that is happening as God brings not just a judgment upon uh, the the wrong that that has been happening, but God's judgment in terms of what will happen to all those who are uh, against God. We'll see that as we move forward. Well, I hope that's not been too much of a whirlwind. Hope you all have been able to understand 
a little bit about that. But the overarching theme of this passage of Scripture, this second half of chapter 11 has been after we've been looking at God's desire to bring redemption, opportunities for people to repent, we finally see that the time has come to an end and that God's judgment comes. But God's judgment is a, a victory over uh, the evil, over sin, and that God's uh, redemptive power is finally being realized by those who are followers after Jesus Christ, those who love God, and those who are uh, doing as God desires in their life. And that's the primary theme of this passage is that God, God wins. God's victorious. And that's to be worshipped. God, we're to praise God for that. And we see that uh, that all the things that God desires for us to do is for a reason. It's for this moment in Scripture when God reigns supreme.